Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy. Today, we're going to be talking about UFC Vegas 55, Santiago Ponzinibbio versus Michelle Pereira, and it's going down this Saturday night live at the Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. Two of the most exciting welterweights. I mean, I was going to say in the top 15, but actually Michelle Pereira isn't even ranked, and he gets a win here. And I have a feeling he will be ranked. And you got a guy in Santiago Ponzinibbio who, I mean, at one point he was on a seven-fight win streak and he had a near-death experience. I mean, we're dealing with a guy who was literally about to fight Usman. Like, he was only like a plus-150 dog to plus-160 dog against Kamaru Usman and then had this bacterial infection that put him out of action for a long time. The guy... He lost a ton of weight. He thought he was going to die. I mean, they were even talking about this guy dropping down to 155 pounds. Like, that's that's how bad shit got for Santiago uh, Ponzinibbio. Um, real quick, people are like, Dan dreams about Jamal Hill every night. Actually, today is my boy Jamal Hill's uh, birthday. So, happy birthday, Jamal Sweet Dreams Hill, the future of the, the light heavyweight division, uh, Tiago Majeta Santos is in deep you know what so happy birthday to my boy but back to this fight guys look santiago ponzinibbio versus michelle Pereira. this is the main event let's just get let's just get that out the way real quick but before i talk any further let me just tweet out that i am live right now so that we can get some more people in here and everybody do me a huge favor and smash that like button hit that subscribe button i truly truly appreciate it and we're going to talk about uh Michelle Pereira versus uh, Santiago Ponzinibbio, which is the main event between you and me. Um, I mean, unless you guys prefer me to talk about Holman Vieira, which I will talk about that too, but like, let's just get the, the real main event out the way first. So hold on. I'm tweeting out live now, talking UFC Vegas 55 on half the battle. Tap in, tap in. All right, cool. If y'all can do me a huge favor and retweet that, I'd really appreciate it. But now, without further ado, let's uh let, let, let's break down this whole card. I'm not going to say start to finish because I want to go finish to start, man, because it, you know it's all about this Michelle Pereira versus Santiago Ponzinibbio fight. Let's not let's not even bullshit. Let's not even beat around the bush. That's uh that's what this is all about. So, Back to what I was saying. So when you got a guy like Santiago Ponzinibbio, who was on that seven-fight win streak, he was on the cusp of getting a title shot, and many thought that he was the dark horse in the UFC light heavyweight division. I mean, like I said, he was a plus-150 dog only against Kamaru Usman. I, I guarantee you, if they get matched up today, he's going to be like a, what, plus-300 dog against Kamaru Usman? But that's the kind of regard that we had for a guy like Santiago Ponzinibbio uh, pre-pandemic, around the time that he headlined in Argentina uh, against Neil Magny, which was actually, holy shit, all the way back in 2018, guys. I can't believe it's been so long. But when you look at the win streak that Santiago was on back then, I mean, we're talking about a guy, I, I say the win streak, actually, he had a loss to Lorenz Larkin. But prior to that, I mean, this is a guy that went out there and beat Sean Strickland. This is a guy that was going out there and, I mean, the performance he put on Neil Magny, the way he absolutely dismantled him pillar to post for four rounds straight, it was looking like a guy that was about to fight for the title. So that was 2018. He didn't get to fight again until 2021 because of the bacterial infection, and we questioned if he'd ever come back the same. So here's where the debate comes in, because on one hand, people like to say that he's declined, and I'm not actually 
I'm not actually sure if that's the case. What I think is more so the case is that he hasn't evolved. It's still the same exact Santiago Ponzinibbio that we see every single time. I mean, the guy has got some I love I love his footwork, man. The way he cuts off the cage and you start to pocket box, you start to brawl with a guy like Santiago Ponzinibbio. I mean, don't cry when that straight right down the pipe puts you on your ass and when he chops you down with big calf kicks i mean you you, you go to a toe-to-toe brawl with santiago ponzinibbio there's a chance you're getting caught the thing is guys back in 2018 that style you know it was working per, was working perfect but it's 2021 now and if you haven't evolved your game if you if you don't have new wrinkles people are going to figure you out and that's kind of what i think is happening now because when i went back and i watched these last three these last three santiago fights it's not like he's fighting differently than he used to. He's still fighting like Santiago Ponzinibbio. It's just that we're not seeing anything new. We're not seeing any evolution. We're not seeing anything added to his game. It's still the same Santiago Ponzinibbio that we all know and love. It's just the issue is if you want to get to the top of the division, um, you got you got to consistently be improving. And I can say without a shadow of a doubt that Michelle Pereira has been consistently improving. But let me talk about these last three uh, Santiago fights since he's come back. So the Li Jing Liang fight, look, I mean, he, just, he got caught, man. <laughs> you know, he got caught in a big exchange against one of the biggest power punchers in the division, got knocked out. Uh, my boy said it's 2022. Did I say it's 2021? What I meant was that he fought Li Jing Liang in 2021. I didn't mean that right now. It's 2021, just to clarify that. But when he came back in 2021 against Li Jing Liang, Listen, you go toe-to-toe with one of the biggest hitters in the division, you know, shit can happen, man. You can get knocked out, and that's exactly what happened. Comes back against Miguel Baeza. First round and a half, man. I mean, that calf was getting chewed up, but one thing about not just Santiago Ponzinibbio, I don't know if you all ever met any uh, Argentines Argentines before or Argentinians. I'm not sure what the proper – is it Argentines or Argentinians? Uh, Someone let me know. I think you can actually say both, but – if you've ever met someone from Argentina before, you know that they got a shit ton of pride and uh, they're not going to go down without a fight, man. Like even even outside the cage, like you were talking about verbal type stuff. Like, have you ever dated an Argentinian woman? Uh, let's just say that they don't go down without a fight. So listen, the Miguel Baez fight, Miguel wasn't able to knock him out. So Santiago was still there pushing in the late second round stole that round and then clearly won the third round and that's just the kind of heart that this guy santiago has and you can reference his heart all the way back to his ufc debut in 2013 against ryan lafleur he was in a deep submission attempt did not tap he was getting dominated the whole fight and he still never gave up so Santiago Ponzinibbio has got the heart of a lion, and that's what showed in that Miguel Baeza fight. Now, the thing with Miguel Baeza is that, you know, he's still green. He's still figuring things out. You know, he that, that was his, uh what, 10th or 11th pro fight, man. Like, he's just a kid in this game. Uh, you got to take a slow roll with a guy like a slow roll with a guy like Miguel Baeza. Give him a chance to figure shit out. Um, then the Jeff Neal fight came around, and I actually bet Santiago in that fight. Uh, because there were there were a bunch of red flags on the Jeff Neal side. Interestingly enough, he had some health issues too. He had congenial heart failure. He had gone into a car accident the week of the fight. So I was thinking, man, like shit's not looking good for Jeff. He had some very uninspiring performances, the Wonder Boy fight and the uh, Neil Magny fight. So they go in there and first two rounds are pretty close. Third round was unanimously scored for Jeff Neal in that fight. 
And uh, you all got to go back and watch in between the second and third round of the Jeff Neal fight, Coach Safe Sayud, the kind of the kind of talk he gave Jeff Neal in between rounds is uh, like, I'm going to make that my alarm clock. You know what I'm saying, man? That dude, Safe Sayud, uh, he'll, uh, he'll, he'll go at you, man. And um, he basically he told Jeff Neal. He said, stop dabbing him up and get in this guy's ass. <laughs> so uh, I know that might sound a certain way, but what he meant by that was take it to him. Um, and that's what happened in that third round. And usually Santiago's the guy that starts off a little bit slow and starts to ease into the fight um, as it progresses. And that was not the case in the Jeff Neal fight. So was that a sign of a possible decline? I don't know, because he's still out there trying to fight like Santiago. But on the on the other side of things, let me say this. When I watched that fight with Jeff Neal, I was thinking to myself, man, when both these guys come back, I'm going to fade both of these guys. So another thing about Santiago, man, like we love the fact that in the pocket, when he backs you up against the fence, when he starts letting those combos go, when he finally finds a home for that straight right, I mean, he's devastating. The only thing that I've had a criticism for, not just lately, but even back in the day, was that Santiago is there to be hit. Santiago gets hit a lot. You go back to even his fight against Court McGee, where he ends up knocking him out in the first round. Man, Santiago was getting tagged up in that fight. You go to that Mike Perry fight, like it was not the smooth sailing that you expected it to be. And obviously these last three fights haven't been smooth sailing at all. So while I don't, I'm not sitting here saying Santiago's done because I don't think he's done at all. I still think he fights with a lot of heart. I still think he's a very dangerous guy. And I still think that you show this guy any kind of weakness He's going to capitalize. It's just more so of a thing where there's not going to be any surprises with Santiago Ponzinibbio. There's not, he's not going to come out here and point fight. He's not going to come out here and try to hump your leg. He's not going to just try to, you know, coast, 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 and then steal around in the last minute. That's not how Santiago Ponzinibbio fights. Santiago Ponzinibbio fights like a man. And I know in 2022, we can't say like a man anymore because people are up in their feelings. But growing up, I mean, we know, we know what we know what that means man i mean and that's no disrespect to the women like it's just it's just it is what it is that's an expression santiago fights like a man he fights with his balls man and uh now to michelle pereira he's an interesting cat because he's a guy that was fighting at 85s back in the day and he dropped to 170 pounds which i think was the right move for him and that debut he had against danny hot chocolate roberts was one of the best debuts i've ever seen in all my years watching this sport and it was the kind of debut that you literally go out there and you school a guy in a way where you look like you're a character from a video game and i know that that's gotta just pump up your ego in a way where you know, you think that you're untouchable. You think you're invincible. You think you're this God. So he goes out there that next fight against Tristan Connolly, a guy who, let's be honest, has no business in there with him. And like they fight 10 times and I'm betting I'm betting uh, Michelle Pereira those next nine times like that fight wasn't about what Tristan Connolly did right. That fight was about what Michelle Pereira did wrong. I mean, 10 uh, backflips during the walkout three backflips during the fight goes for guillotines and loses position. Like it was just like, dude, like, what are you doing? It was like that Danny Roberts knockout and got to his head so much that the guy thought he was God's gift to planet earth. He had to learn his lessons the hard way. The Diego Sanchez fight. Now, while we all kind of think he low key won and Diego, you know, wanted out 
still, I kind of wanted to see Michelle go out there and put him out in the first round. So I was kind of like, uh, like w- w- what's going on here? But you took a, you know, he comes back seven months later against Zalim Imadayev. And let me tell you something, man. He looked, I wouldn't say he looked like a brand new man because he was still doing the things that we love seeing him do, but he was more focused. He was more dialed in. He uh, was able to go the three rounds hard, and that's what I like to see. Goes in there, and, and he absolutely schooled Imadayev in a way where, I mean, we were seeing showtime kicks. We were seeing slaps. We were seeing just all kinds of crazy shit. That was the performance where I think he turned the corner mentally because physically he's always been there. I mean, let's not the techniques have always been there. It's just about him turning the corner mentally because when you have some of the athletic capabilities that a guy like uh, Michelle Pereira has, when you can do things that other guys simply can't do, like, dude, we're all human here. It probably got to his head. His ego probably exploded, but I feel like these last four fights, we've been seeing a guy come into his own. We've been seeing a guy figuring out his style that chaos williams fight i mean look chaos williams win or lose this guy is one of the most powerful and destructive hitters in the welterweight division i mean even in that fight he lost against uh, randy brown and shout out to randy brown for catching that dog bed but you know randy brown had to go through some shit in that fight it was not smooth sailing like chaos williams can crack and chaos williams did crack michelle Pereira. michelle Pereira even did a little subtle wobble uh, in that first round when he was charging at chaos williams but you know he's got the resolve he found a way to work around it and he low-key uh went out there it was one one going to the third round he stole that third round like so those are the kinds of things i like to see nico price fight i mean i kind of felt like he schooled him those first two rounds but then he got tired in that third, lost that third, but he was able to hang on. The Andre Fialio fight kind of took the first round off. And Fialio is a very, uh, like, you want to you want to brawl in the pocket with a guy like Fialio, there's a chance he knocks you out. I mean, just ask uh, those last two guys he fought. Just ask uh, Miguel Baeza. Just ask uh, uh, Cameron Van Zandt. You know what I mean? So Andre Fialio can bang. And I'm excited for his fight with Jake Matthews. But I want to say this. If you go back right now, if you pause this and you go watch that second round of Michelle Pereira versus Andre Fialio, some of the stuff he was doing in that second round is just stuff that other guys simply can't do. And if you can just dial it in, hone it in, not get too carried away with the bullshit, with the antics. I mean, I think this guy's got a bright future and I think he can be a potential top 15 guy. Now, here's one thing I got to mention. Every single time that Michelle Pereira's won a decision, it's always been 29-28. There's never been a clean 30-27. And the reason being is his style requires a lot of energy. So it, it, it's one of those things where, uh, uh, hold on, Rick the Ruler said, WMMA isn't on the level with the guys, but it isn't as bad as people say. I agree, man. I, I, love, I love the women. I just personally think that a Pereira versus uh, Santiago Ponzinibbio is better than Holm versus Vieira just that fight specifically i mean there's tons of amazing uh lady fights so i don't want this to look like a slight on the ladies i just feel like this is this is my main event so that's why i'm talking about this first but um back to uh back to what i was getting at uh if you look at all the decisions that that michelle Pereira's won there's never been a single 30 27 so you just got to pay attention to that like He's got to take at least one round off in all of these fights because of how much energy he uses. Now, he's gotten a lot better of conserving that energy. But, man, back to that Fialio fight, you look at that second round and some of the shit he was doing, the speed he's operating with, 
I'm very, very impressed. Now, here's what I'm worried about. I'm worried about, obviously, him gassing out. You gas out against a guy like Ponzinibbio. You back up against the fence against a guy like Ponzinibbio and don't have much left in the tank. And, I mean, let's just let's just keep it 100. He is going to absolutely tee off on you. So that's what I'm most worried about. But on the other side of things, Santiago is there to be hit. And while these last few fights have been going to decision, um, you know, as far as Michelle Pereira is concerned, so like, like because I'm trying to say, I feel like there's a chance that Pereira can knock out Ponzinibbio and someone can counter me and say, well, these last three guys have been eating clean shots and they haven't gone down. And it's like true, like these are these are facts, 100. percent But just the way these two match up and the kind of aggression that a guy like Santiago Ponzinibbio has, like. That, I really feel like that's going to give the opening for a guy like Michelle Pereira to come out here and knock him out. So I actually am going to pick Michelle Pereira to win this fight. Uh, it's just that we can't sit here and act like this is going to necessarily be smooth sailing, like there's not going to be any adversity. And we can't act like there's no concerns here because Santiago Ponzinibbio is a world-class fighter. Santiago Ponzinibbio knows what it means to have a seven-fight win streak in the UFC. Santiago Ponzinibbio has been around the game a long time and is as tough as they come. He is a true Argentine warrior. This guy, like, will he's, he's willing to die in there. And again, if you go back and you watch a fight between Michelle Pereira and Dushko, and that was at 185 pounds, you know, where Michelle got knocked out. Now, granted, he's come a long way since then. But the only reason I'm referencing that fight is because what happened there is what I'm scared of happening here. I do not want Michelle Pereira backing up against the fence, completely gassed against a guy like Ponzinibbio who can cut off the cage and he starts getting off. He he's like a shark, man. He said he senses a little bit of blood in the water and he's going to absolutely go off. And that's what I'm worried about here. But. If, like, let's say Michelle doesn't get the knockout. If the knockout does not happen, he's just got to survive one of these rounds, man. Because I, I know Santiago's coming here to fight. I know Santiago's going to bring it. And I know Santiago's a true warrior. Now, let's talk about the odds real quick. So, currently, they got it. Michelle Pereira, minus 125. The comeback on Santiago, Genchiboa, Ponzinibbio. Genchiboa means nice guy in Portuguese or good guy. Um, is plus 105. So I, I was wanting to bet uh, Michelle at minus 115, minus 110, minus 120. I know it's only five cents difference here, minus 125, but the number does kind of matter to me. I'm kind of going to wait it out because I, I just don't want to fall into that slight chalk trap, which, which tends to often happen from time to time. And there's also a possibility that this is the fourth appearance Santiago's made since his, you know, since his recovery, since the the incident he had where he almost died. So maybe he's starting to feel more comfortable in there. Now, now maybe he feels like he's got his footing back under him. It's just that when you go back to that Jeff Neal fight, it was a red flag that he unanimously lost that third round. Like, that's not something I'm used to in Santiago fights. I'm used to Santiago starting slow, getting tagged up. And then he starts to find his range. And when he does, boy, look out, right? So that, that, that's, a, that, that's the thing I'm concerned about here, man. So I do have Michelle Pereira because I think there's a big speed difference in this fight. And I think Santiago is there to be hit. But the reason that it's not this big bet, the reason that it's not this ultra confidence is because I know exactly 
how we're going to lose if we lose this fight. And that's Michelle Pereira gassing up against the fence, which is not what you want to do against a guy like Santiago Ponzinibbio. But back to my reasoning for taking Pereira, Pons being there to hit is not just something new from this current you know, three fights he's been on. This is something that's been going on throughout his entire career. Like, I'm not even just talking about the Lorenz Larkin fight where he got knocked out. What about even the Sean Strickland fight where he won? He got dropped twice in that fight, the Court McGee fight. Yeah, I know you look on Wiki and it says he won my first round knockout, but dude was getting tagged up in that fight. And I just don't want to see him come out here getting tagged up uh, against, uh, you know, a guy like Michelle Pereira. Like, I get that these other guys have been surviving, but. I would say that a guy like Chaos Williams has a rock chin right now. Not that not that um, Santiago doesn't, but Santiago, his chin is right there to be hit. And it doesn't matter about, you know, is you know, do you have the best chin in the world or this or that? I mean, like, you eat those flush shots on the right spot. It doesn't matter who you are. You're getting knocked out. So I'm going to pick Michelle Pereira to come out here and knock out Genchi Boa, Santiago Ponzinibbio, but I still have the concerns that I mentioned. Um, if he starts to gas out, if there's no knockout, if this fight, you know, goes into deep waters and, you know, Michelle's expended a lot of energy and then Santiago's starting to get off on some big shots. That That's that's the concern. Santiago's a warrior. Santiago's not going to go down without a fight. Santiago is truly willing to die in there. He's an Argentine warrior. So, this is such an amazing fight, man. I mean, this is literally, I mean, this is this is the main event as far as I'm concerned. So that's all I got to say for now regarding that fight. But um, I uh, I'll come back to it if the, if I feel like there's anything I left out. But I think I pretty much covered it. All right, co-main event of the evening in the women's bantamweight division. We got Holly Holm. She's 14 and 5, taking on Ketlin Vieira, who was 12 and 2. Currently, they got it Holly Holm minus 250. The comeback on Ketlin Vieira is plus 210. So Holly Holm currently 40 years old. She'll turn 41 in October. Hey, shout out to Holly Holm. She's a fellow Libra like myself. So that's what's up. Uh, last time she, she performed, she, she fought admirably, man. I mean, uh, against, uh, Irene Aldana. Now, granted that was all the way back in October, 2020, man. I mean, it's, it's 2022. It's been almost not quite, but almost a full year. I mean, almost a full two years since then. So, I mean, how is she going to perform now in her forties? I mean, I'm not saying she's going to look bad or anything, but you know, it's not like she's entering her prime or anything like that. I, it feels like maybe she's exiting it. And I know there's the MMA math where you look at, well, Irena Aldana knocked out Caitlin Vieira in the first round and Holly Holm absolutely schooled Irena Aldana for five straight rounds. But I, I just can't look at it like that because they, they match up differently, completely differently stylistically. I mean, when you, when you look at Irena Aldana, what's she known for? She's known for her volume boxing, right? And uh, with uh, Ketlin Vieira, I mean, she's known for those foot sweeps. She's known for her trips. She's known for her submission game. She's known for her top control. And, uh, yeah, what's up with this this one, dude? Firstly, spell my last name, right? Secondly, it's funny you say that with your name. But, hey, I ain't judging, man. I ain't judging, man. Just wishing a happy birthday to my boy. But back to this. The difference between this and the Irena Aldana fight is that Irena Aldana from the jump, you knew she was going to go out there and box with Holly Holm and it just turned out to be a bad idea. Whereas like 
if Kellen decides to do the same thing, then, you know, she probably deserves to lose this fight. I just I just don't really foresee that being the game plan here, man. I mean, she's got to come out here and go out there and find those opportunities for the t- for those takedowns, those those trips, those sweeps. And if she gets on top, you got to hold her down for the remainder of the round. You got to go for those submission attempts. I mean, she is a Nova Uniao black belt. I mean, she's got the credentials. My issue with Ketlin Vieira is this. So she had so much momentum after the uh, the Zingano fight, right? And then she came back, you know, what was it? Uh, over, over a year later against Irena Aldana because she had like a serious surgery. I don't know the details of what the surgery was. I just know that she hasn't quite looked the same since that surgery. So I'm wondering if now she's start, you know, similar to Ponzinibbio, if now she's starting to feel more comfortable in there, if she's starting to get her feet back under her. Um, you know, she went out there, definitely be Sajara Eubanks, but that Yana Kunitskaya fight, it was a bit controversial to some people because Caitlin Vieira definitely controlled the minutes of the fight. It's just that, like, with the last 10 seconds, Yana Kuniskaya would, like, reverse position and then start getting off on some big shots, and it would sway the judges, and she'd get the points back and even get some more of her own, and she won the decision that way. And then the Misha Tate fight, I don't want to put too much stock into that either. Reason being is that well, Misha, Misha Tate retired a long time ago, guys. And Misha Tate, when she came back, she was in there against Marion Renault, who I got a ton of respect for Marion Renault. I mean, we're talking about Marion Renault, someone who back in the day submitted Jessica Andrade, right? It's just that at the point when Misha Tate fought Marion uh, Renault, Marion Renault was already 45 years old, man. She was on a retirement fight. It was one foot out the door. So, Misha Tate was basically a beneficiary of Marion Renault, you know, just being at the end of her run. Whereas now, um, whereas when Ketlin fought Misha, it, it was back to like, how much stock are we putting in the Misha beating Marion Renault, right? Like I, I was just kind of like, you know, it was two old ladies having a fight. One of them was retiring, right? And Ketlin Vieira treated Misha Tate accordingly. It's just that the reason that I don't want to put too much stock into that is because I think that Misha Tate, she retired in what, 2016 or something like that? I don't think Misha Tate has any championship aspirations. What, could you imagine what Amanda would do to her for a second time? Or actually, or actually, the, the champ now is Juliana, excuse me. But still, could you imagine what either of them would do to her? They'd break her. So... <laughs> Hopefully, at least, Ketlin Vieira has taken some confidence from that fight. And here, what's going to be interesting is how's Holly Holm going to look off this two-year layoff? Because last time we saw her, that was the best she's looked in a long, long long-ass time. So, there's that going for her. But, okay, my boy tweeted out, interesting little nugget there by by Best Fight Picks. Michelle has never won a 30-27 decision. Facts. 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 Um. And he's never lost a decision either in the UFC besides that, you know, the one where he beat himself against Tristan Connolly. Let's be honest. You, you guys know what happens if those guys fight 10 times. You know, the fluke happened the first time. The next nine times, Michelle Pereira is, uh, is smoking uh, Tristan Connolly. Let's just let's just keep it 100, man. You know, his, his ego got the best of him after the Danny Hot Chocolate fight. But back to this, Holm and Vieira. Can Vieira regain that form that she had prior to her surgeries? Like, the reason that I don't want to put too much uh, stock into uh, Vieira beating Tate is the same reason I don't want to put too much stock into Tate beating Marion Renault. And that being said, with Holly Holm, you know, I, I hate to put it in such simple terms, but it is striker versus grappler. I mean, if Holly Holm can keep this on the outside, 
you know, throw those sidekicks, pot shot the jabs, run around the ring, make those sounds and stuff the takedowns, then she's probably going to come out here and win this decision. This decision It's just about can we trust, can we rely on Kellen Vieira to land takedowns in three of these five rounds and secure a judge's, a judge's decision or possibly even come out here and get a submission? I don't think she's going to get the best of the boxing exchanges. But let me say this. Um, maybe, uh, you know, yesterday I was on a on a uh, Twitter spaces with a, with a couple of cool dudes, and one of them suggested that maybe Vieira could have some success with leg kicks, and that'd be that that'd be interesting to you know to see if she could kind of maybe slow down the movement of Holly Holm with leg kicks and take it from there, and you know from and then from there hope to set up those entries to those takedowns or just you know use use holly's momentum against her get some kind of trip some kind of judo throw something like that because i do think if she gets on top of home she's probably going to keep her there for the remainder of the round so this is a tough one to call and then the thing i don't like is the minus 250 minus 260 price i'm not laying minus 250 minus 260 on a 40 year old like like period and then at the same time like it is dogger passing my eyes but like am i really trying to lay this plus two or not lay but take a shot on this plus 200 on Vieira when there's so many question marks there's so much circumstantial things going on with the opponent she's fought and coming back after that surgery just hasn't looked the same so this is a fight i just want no part of but if you're gonna bet it at these current odds i would say it's dog or pass i guess if you got on home earlier you know i understand but at minus 250 i would relax personally so that's my take on that fight so Featured bout in the middleweight division. Now, this should be really good. Now, before I talk about Chidi and Jokowani versus Dushko Todorovic, everybody do me a huge favor. Smash that like button. Hit that subscribe button. Comment, uh, share, retweet. Do all those things to help this channel grow. I sincerely appreciate it. And I saw some people were trying to co-program me today. What do you all think about that? Was that was that a low blow or was that or is it just part of the game and we just take it on the chin and move on? It was kind of interesting, though. But anyways, back to this uh, featured bout between Chitty and Jokowani, who's 21 and 7, taking Dushko Todorovic, who is 11 and 2. Currently, they got it. Chitty, holy shit, Chitty's minus 230. The comeback on Dushko Todorovic is plus 195. So on one hand my my feeling like just like my initial thought of this fight was like you cannot fight chitty and jaquani with your chin straight up in the air and your hands down like that's just something that can't happen man so right away like if these guys bang for enough time if dushko wants to come out here and test his stand-up against a guy like chitty and jaquani he is going to hit the deck but on the flip side of things you go back to Chitty's Bellator days, even his fight against Andre Koreshkov, he got taken down one time and the fight was over shortly after. Now, granted, I don't remember exactly what year that happened. I'd be willing to say it was around maybe half a decade ago. Let me let me look it up to confirm. It was 2017, so you know, roughly, roughly around there. Um <laughs> like if Dushko comes out here and is able to take down um, Chidi and Jaquani, get on top of him, like I'm curious to see if he can ground and pound him out. I'm curious to see if he can t- keep that top control and neutralize a guy like Chidi. But let me say this. Since that point that Chidi got embarrassed in those fights, 
he's worked his way up to black belt in jujitsu. Now, I don't know the details. I don't know who he's training under. I don't know what that really means. I just know that at least, at least he's addressing those things. And he feels like he's had the right amount of experience you know, before, you know, before getting to the UFC, he already had 27 pro fights outside the UFC before he got here and he beat some legitimate competition. I mean, we're talking about a guy that finished Alan Juban with body kicks. We're talking about a guy that went out there and beat Max Griffin on, on the regional scene outside the, outside the UFC. So Chitty Njikwani is very experienced. And if you guys remember his brother, Anthony Njikwani, back in the WEC, there was a time when this guy won three back-to-back-to-back knockouts of the night um, against Bart Polshevsky, against what was the name of the, the dude that looked like a little kid? <laughs> and in the and in the knockout, the kid was running away from him, and, and Anthony head kick knocked him out. Uh, Chris Hordes- Hordecki or Hordeski. You guys know. If, if you were around back then, you know who I'm talking about. And there was another one along the way, too. So, like, Anthony, his brother, like, at one point was one of the funnest strikers to watch in the WEC, even had an amazing fight with Edson Barboza in the UFC. But Chitty... My my big like complaint with Chitty, minus you know the past issues he's had on the mat, is that sometimes I feel like he takes it easy on his opponents. Man, like I max bet him against Melvin Gillard. Melvin Gillard's a former fifty five er. Chitty is an eighty five er. And yeah, even though the scorecards were like thirty twenty five, like I felt like he was like playing with your food. I felt like he could have got him out of there on multiple occasions. That's always been the the uh, criticism for Chitty minus the times he's gotten taken down and couldn't get back up. But on the flip side of things, I've seen Chitty go out there. You saw his UFC debut against Marc-Andre Barrio when he knocked him out in like what the first exchange. And that's not the first time he's done that. He also did that to Andre Fialio. He knocked Andre Fialio out in like 14 or 16 seconds. So Chitty, man, Chitty is a sharpshooter. And another thing, back to Dushko Todorovic, you know, fights with his hands, uh, his chin, excuse me, his chin up in the air, his hands down. And in that Maki Patolo fight, so I know officially it says it's a first round ground and pound stoppage. And we'd love, you know, if you're betting on, on Dushko at these odds, you'd love to see Dushko come out there and get a, uh, you know, first round ground and pound stoppage. But man, those entries to those takedowns were very, very sloppy. The reason he was able to get Maki Patolo down is because Maki Patolo, he saw an opportunity for a guillotine and he jumped to his back big mistake to do against the black belt right and from there you know dushko was able to fight the hands he was able to pass the guard got on top and pounded him out so it's like i don't think chitty's gonna be out here looking for guillotines i hope not for his sake right so i i I just think that you know chitty keeps his range and i think he's gonna capitalize on on just I guess the reckless defense of a guy like Dushko, but let me give Dushko credit, man, because he's a guy I like a lot. He's got a ton of confidence, his head movement. Now, when he's not getting clipped, it's very pretty to watch, right? He fights with his hands down and he relies on his head movement. And again, when he's not getting hit, I love seeing it. It's just when he does get hit, I mean, you, you know, your chin straight up in the air, your hands are down. Like, well, like, what do you expect? It doesn't matter how good your chin is, man. But to give Dushko some credit, I like, uh, I like when he's in the clinch, man. I like that dirty boxing. I like when he gets on top of these guys. I like that uh, that ground and pound he's got. He's very, very vicious. So I do think that Dushko's path to victory is getting on top of Chitty. But the thing is, can he have that same success that guys were able to have half a decade ago? I, I feel like Chitty's 
you know, he's put he's put his game together. So I think Chitty's going to capitalize on Dushko's defensive liabilities. And for that reason, I'm going to take Chitty and Jokowani to knock out Dushko Todorovic in this spot. Now, next up, we got a match between Pollyanna Vienna. She's 12 and 4, taking on Tabitha Ricci, who is 6 and 1. And currently, they got it. Tabitha Ricci, minus 130. The comeback on, on Pollyanna Vienna is plus 110. Interesting fight. Um, I'm not sure because, like, on one hand, like, I ain't trying to lay no minus nothing on, on Tabitha Ricci. On the other hand, the way they match up stylistically, Pollyanna Vienna is historically known for going out there, and she's a, she's solid at those arm bars from guard. She's solid at taking the back and choking people out. And Tabitha Ricci, she's got some decent jujitsu credentials. Now, let me clarify: like, I'm not saying she's out here, you know, like Mackenzie Dern or anything like that. Like, that's not the case. But still, um, to have the jujitsu experience she has. And then to take it into another sport like MMA, I think it can translate. And if Pollyanna Vienna is still on her pull guard and you know try try to go for these for these arm bars, man, I just simply don't see that happening against someone like like Tabitha Ricci. So I do think Tabitha Ricci can maintain this top control. It's just uh, on the feet. Here's what's interesting. So. Vienna fights with her chin straight up in the air. Now, in the women's divisions, you don't often see knockouts, so it's not like I'm expecting her to come out here and get floored or anything like that, but she can be giving up points on the judges' scorecards, you know, leaving that chin straight up in the air. But she's also a lot bigger. You know, she's got, I think it was, uh, I was I was looking at yesterday, I think she's got like, what, a five-inch height advantage and six-inch reach advantage. I don't remember off the top of my head, but it was something among those lines. Um, so on the feet, it could get interesting because Tabitha Ricci, you know, not, not the most, uh, seasoned striker at all, but let me, let me give her some credit, man. And that Manon, Manon Fioro fight, like she took that ass whooping admirably, man. Like I was going to say she took that ass whooping like a man, but you know, back to the, like a man talk, like people don't like hearing those phrases anymore. I grew up in a different time and it was never meant to be like, you know, degrading to women. I fucking love women. You know what I'm saying? It, it's just crazy. Like what people will get overly sensitive about, but I'm going to get into it. You know, I'm going to go off on a tangent about that. It's just, you know, we grew up giving each other all kinds of shit about everything and it was playful and it was accepted. And it was like, you know, like we're still going to be friends at the end of the day. Like, I don't know. I went to public school and, it's just it, I just come I just come from a different place than a lot of these people. But back to this fight, I don't want to go off on a tangent. Um, so I, I I think it's interesting because if they have a three round striking match, I think it's anyone's fight, you know. And my concern on the Vienna side is that she keeps that chin straight up in the air. My my concern on the Ricci side is that she's a lot smaller than uh, than Pollyanna Vienna. Pollyanna Vienna's got a lot more experience, but I've seen some very low competition. Uh, my boy Dominic brought up such a good point. He said, nobody is growing up with South Park, Dan. Dude, I know. Like, I've got, like, DVDs of South Park, like, from back in the day. Like, just, like, the sense of humor that me and my friends have. It's, like, we used to be able to laugh about everything. And, like, my friends come from all walks of lives, man. Like, doesn't matter if you're black, white, Jewish, Asian, Hispanic, like, gay, straight atheist like whatever like as long as you're a cool person like we all muslim like we all accept each other man like so where i came from like we were able to joke around with each other man like and nowadays 
you can't even make the jokes I want to make anymore without like people labeling you things that you're clearly not. It's just, it, it really bothers me. But that again, I can do it. I really don't want to turn this into that discussion. And, you know, one thing about half the battle is I want to bring people together, man. I mean, you know, like uh, Bilal Muhammad, you know, he's Palestinian. You, you know, you guys know my last name, right? You guys know like that my people and his people are supposed to hate each other. But me and Bilal Muhammad have had a great friendship for over half for like seven years, man, because it's all about peace and love. It's all about acceptance. It's all about putting the bullshit politics to the side, man. And it just it just bothers me that people can't do that uh, these days, man. So you just need to be acceptant of everyone as long as they're not pieces of shit, as long as they're not bad people. If you're a good person, I don't care what walk of life you come from. That's that's just that's just, uh, you know, my opinion on it, man. And uh, we should be able to joke about everybody, not just certain people, everybody. So, yeah, it's just. Yeah, I can go. I can go on about this forever, guys. That being said, <laughs> back to Ricci and, and Vienna. Um, I don't know, man. I could see it going either way. I'm not trying to lay no chalk on Ricci. Not necessarily interested in taking the shot on on Vienna either, because I've seen much lesser fighters beat her. I saw Veronica Macedo finish her in the first round. I saw Hannah Cyphers go out there and beat her in a, a three round decision. It's just. I don't fucking know. I'll, I'll lean Ricci though. Um, but you know, let's see. Now, this one should be good. We all in the main card, we also got a matchup between Eric Anders, who's 14 and 6, taking on Zhang Young, the Iron Turtle Park, who is 13 and 5. Um, and hold on a second, let me just see something. Oh, okay, never mind. Um, and currently they got it. Jung Young Park minus 210. The comeback on Eric Anders is plus 175. So that's another line that kind of seems like it's like, um, I'm not quite so sure if the line's accurate, but just as a pure pick, look, firstly, I like Eric Anders a lot. Um, I think I pissed Eric Anders off, which actually really bothers me because I didn't mean any offense by what I said. So when he lost to Muniz, um, and I think this was the origin because like Eric and I were really cool. Like I interviewed Eric before he was in the UFC, always supported his career, always thought he was a cool guy. Even came to Atlanta. Uh, we went out to dinner. He's a cool ass guy. He came to my gym, trained jujitsu. But when he fought Muniz, now you guys know Muniz is a third degree black belt. I mean, Muniz is a guy that fucking tapped out uh, Jacare for fuck's sake, right? Like, um, and I'm a jujitsu practitioner, you know, I'm a force, I'm a four stripe blue belt. I'm actually competing this week and I'm incredibly nervous, but, uh, you know, talking with you guys, like helps me just get my mind off of things. But anyways, Eric Anders is also a jujitsu practitioner. And I, I think these two things I said bothered him. Tell me y'all's opinion on this. So I messaged him and I asked him, you know, from, from one jujitsu practitioner to another, like, what was that Mooney's arm bar? Like, like, was it a situation where like, it was like zero to a hundred and it, it's about to snap and you have no option or like, what was it like? Because that's a high level black belt. Like when you get caught in an arm bar versus, you know, a blue belt or, or a white belt or a purple belt or whatever, you know, maybe there's a chance you can escape, but against a third degree black belt, like if you don't make that, that decision to tap, like the dude's going to snap it. So I just wanted to know, like, 
what that felt like, not what the agony of the loss felt like, but just like how quickly it went from zero to a hundred. And I don't think he liked that, which is unfortunate, man, because, uh, because, you know, hold on a second. Hey, Charles Barkley, who are, who are you, are you talking to me or someone else? But anyways, uh, yeah, I, I think he thought I was like rubbing it in his face when I clearly wasn't. I was just genuinely curious from one jujitsu practitioner to another. And then I also made a tweet saying this. I said that uh, I'm glad that Eric tapped instead of letting his arm break because now he can come back in the first quarter of 2022 instead of having to take like a full year off, which like um, I am glad about. I'm not glad that he lost the fight. I'm glad that, you know, he made the smart call to live to fight another day so he can come back out there first quarter of 2022 and keep living his life, keep making money for his family. So I think he might have misinterpreted what I said on both those accounts, and I don't think he liked it, which is so unfortunate because I think he's such a cool guy. Um, but uh, I want y'all's opinion on that. Like, did I cross the line or like, I don't know. I don't know. It just sucks, man, because I, I think Eric Anders is such a cool guy. But back to this matchup, let's put all that shit aside. I don't even know why I fucking brought that up. But <laughs> Anyways, I like to be honest with you guys. So Eric Anders is such an elite athlete, and he's a guy that uh, someone said, how soon after it? Well, it was like two weeks after. I didn't do it like 30 minutes after like or some shit. I wasn't trying to rub a loss in his face. I was just like genuinely curious, like, you know, because... Like, like it's one thing to get arm barred by like some random dude, but like when this dude's a third degree black belt, like it's, you know, it's, I don't know. I don't know. I just want to know if, if it was zero to a hundred. Like, I just want to know what it felt like because, you know, as again, as a jujitsu practitioner myself, like I'm always trying to challenge myself and try to get the the hardest roles in the gym and try to see what the difference is between going with the black belts, the blue belts, the purple belts, the brown belts. And and yeah and just know the limits so that's kind of like what i was getting at it wasn't about to be like ha ha you lost to this bad i was like dude that's 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 not what i was doing man i was just very i was genuinely curious i mean like you came to my gym and rolled with us bro like we went out to dinner together i've covered you since you were like on the regional scene like i love eric Anner, so i i hope that we can put that behind us at some point. And, and I hope that he understands that it was a mis it was a misunderstanding. Um, because I never meant anything bad by that. But anyways, back to this. Um Eric Anders is such an elite athlete. My issue with Eric Anders is that sometimes he just doesn't throw enough. And you're sometimes you're like, Eric, you got everything you need to succeed. Like, Eric, throw. Eric, please let your hands go. The low volume is what gets me sometimes, man. Because I know he's capable of so much more. I know he's better than what he's shown. And with John Young Park, we don't have that same concern in terms of him letting his hands go. I know, I know the Iron Turtle is gonna come out here and let his hands go. Like that, that that goes without saying, man. So um you know the minutes are gonna be won by by Jung Young Park here in this fight. That's just the bottom line. It, it's just a, a thing where Eric Anders always he's always live to knock someone out. And then also if he is able to possibly get a takedown or two, maybe he can 
accrue some top control on Jung Young Park. But on the flip side, I've seen Jung Young Park go out there and accrue top control on other people too, like the Tafan Chukwi fight, the John Phillips fight, where that was a very controversial fight in terms of uh, DraftKings. Like, let me uh, let me tell you what I mean by that for those that don't know. So, Jung Young Park goes out there against John Phillips, right? And, and listen to this shit, okay? This is like one of those things you investigate. Okay, so you look at the numbers. Total strikes. It says he landed 260 total strikes of 350 attempted. All right, let me just repeat what I said. It said Jung Young Park against John Phillips landed 260 total strikes of 350. But in significant strikes, it said he only landed 10 of 21. What kind of bullshit is that? Like, are you fucking kidding me right now? Like, people were so pissed off when that happened that they were thinking about, I don't know if they already changed the criteria or what what the deal was, but that was very controversial. Like, that was like, that was some fuck shit, as we like to say here in the ATL, man. I mean, he should have been, like, he landed like 200 significant strikes as far as I'm concerned. Um, and then the Gregory Rodriguez fight, listen, man, they stood and banged until one man, f- uh, until one man fell. That's just how it went, man. It was a very exciting fight. They went out there, they gave it their all. You have a fight like that. Someone's going to win. Someone's going to lose 50, 50 brawl. It was what it was, man. So, you know, much respect to, to both those warriors, but now back to this fight. You know, I don't want to say Eric Anders is knockout or bust. I have seen him win decisions before. It's just that for him to win this decision, you know, he's got to slow the fight down. He's got to find a a chance for some opportunistic takedowns. He's got to do stuff like that. But, I mean, we're dealing with a guy in John Young Park who now it says his takedown defense actually uh, isn't the best. I guess it's because you got to go back to his fight with Anthony Hernandez where he was actually taken down six times in in his uh, debut. I, didn't, I, didn't, I don't remember him being taken down six times. Is that true? Someone, someone let me know in the comments. That's what it, that's what the stats say. I'm not sure. That's I don't, I don't recall that being the case. I actually kind of remember Jung on Park having success early and then getting submitted late. So, I mean, I see it being a good fight. It's just, it's just another one of those things where it's like I don't feel compelled to lay minus 210 on – Jung Young Park, man. Like I, uh, I, I just, I just don't, man. I see it being a lot closer than that. I see it being a competitive fight with Jung Young Park slightly edging it out because he has more volume. There could be a knockout on either side for sure. I say that, and Eric Anders is fucking nearly impossible to knock out. You saw the Cleo Roundtree. I saw it in Atlanta, Georgia. I was like, holy shit. You saw the Maheta fight. Like the dude can take it, man. Um, and then John Young Park, he, he's been chin checked a couple times. He, actually, a, a lot of y'all might know, might not know this, but you know that dude Shavkat Rachmanov um, in the welterweight division. He actually finished John Young Park on the regional scene. A little tidbit there. I lean John Young Park just because if this fight goes to the decision, I think he's going to be the more active guy. Unless Eric is able to have the big moments where where he wobbles and where he drops and where he and where he lands that that last minute takedown to steal the round on the judges scorecards, those kind of things happen. And I think that uh, Eric can win the fight, but if it's, you know, Eric, if you have that money on Eric and you're like, Eric, please throw like Eric, the openings are right there. Let your fucking hands go. Like that's where you're going to be very frustrated. So I understand people taking the shot. I mean, there's, these are some enticing odds. 
I just personally am going to pass. So, and, and I'm going to lean with John Young Park to to win the decision here. And I hope that uh, you know, me and Eric can be cool again because I like the guy. He's a fucking awesome dude. Now, also in the middleweight division, we got a matchup between Joseph Holmes. He's seven and two, taking on Alan Amadovsky, who is eight and two. I'm real quick. Where is this dude from? Macedonia. North Macedonia. Interesting. Do we have any other fighters from Macedonia in the UFC? Any y'all uh, know about? Uh, Billy Brisman said, best fight, uh, half the battle. I see y'all got the guest list out when y'all bringing on Billy Brills. Is that you, Billy Brills? Uh, hey, send me uh, like a clip of you talking fights, man. I got I to gotta know what the deal is. Alexei Alexei said, where the Shaq at? Hey, Shaq's been doing his thing, man. If you go back and you listen to our breakdown of uh, the Anka Leave and Tiago Maheta Santos fight, he in the first five minutes he explained, you know, that he's leaving the show indefinitely. When I wish him the best, you know, Shaq's my brother and and I love the guy, but you know the show must go on. And you know I I can never replace Shaq. Shaq cannot be replaced. He's one of one. He's one of a kind. And I don't plan on replacing him. But what I can do is keep putting out great shows for you guys, bring on some awesome guests, and just move forward. So that's that that's my plan with that. And yeah, um, we're we're completely fine though. Like, like that that's my brother. Um, but uh, anyways, back to Joseph Holmes and Alan or Alan Amidovsky is an interesting fight. I mean, in, I say interesting fight. It's a very low level fight, uh, but there's certain things going on here. Joseph Holmes is massive compared to this dude. I mean, we're talking about six foot four versus five foot ten. Joseph Holmes is also significantly younger. He's about seven or eight years the 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 minor here in this fight, and it's just one of those fights where. While Joseph Holmes, like Joseph Holmes was born in 1995. He's he's a kid. He's he's learning from his mistakes. Um, you know, I'm not sitting here saying he's gonna, you know, project to be this, project to be that, but you don't gotta project to be this or project to be that to go out there and be Alan Amadovsky. Um, and we haven't seen Alan Amadovsky since he absolutely got flatlined by John Phillips in the fight prior. I mean, Christoph Jocko gave him a tour of the octagon. And you go back to Alan Amadovsky's regional fights, and they were fighting on, like, gym mats and, and shit, which, like, not not trying to, like, actually sound like a dick by saying things like that because it's actually admirable that, like, you use the resources you have where you're from. So you know what? That's badass. But it, but But what I'm saying is, like, it's, like, the equivalent of, like, you know, you go to the Dominican Republic and you see the kids coming up and they're playing baseball with like with like a stick and a rock, which like it's badass that like you're using the resources you have. You have a dream. You want to take it far. It's just that you need that seasoning and that experience before you're able to shine under the bright lights of the UFC octagon. And I think that Joseph Holmes last fight, although it was ugly, although he gassed, although, you know, there are a lot of lessons to be learned. He's a young kid. He can come back better from that. And he's got a lot of physical advantages here. I think that Joseph Holmes gets back on track in this fight. Don't know how. Knockout submission. I don't know. Because I don't know much about Amadoski. Like, he's taken some time off. Maybe he's made some big strides. Maybe he's changed gyms. I don't, I don't know shit about the guy. But what I do know about him is that the two UFC fights, I mean, Christoph gave him a tour. John Phillips knocked him out in like under 20 seconds. And prior to that, he was fighting on gym mats in third world countries, which again, it's admirable that you're following your passion and you're using the resources you have that that's, I'm not knocking that. The thing I'm saying is that that kind of experience 
doesn't necessarily translate to success at the highest level. That's all I'm saying by that. So for those reasons, I'll, I'll take Holmes. It's just about, you know, are, are you really trying to lay, you know, minus 200 on Joseph Holmes? Um, I mean, I'm not, but at the same time, if Amadovsky just simply doesn't belong, then then maybe maybe there's a case for it, right? Maybe uh, maybe Joseph Holmes is an entry-level UFC fighter while Alan, Alan Amadovsky just doesn't belong. So, you know, I saw someone, uh, I forgot who it was, put like an eight or seven-unit bet on Holmes, and maybe they're onto something. Maybe, maybe... Amadowski just simply doesn't belong. This is the fight that's going to let us know that. So let's uh let's see what happens. Now, <laughs> next up in the heavyweight division, we got a matchup between uh Parker Porter, he's 13 and 6, taking on Jelton Almeida. Maldinho, who's 15 and 2. And currently they got it. Jailton Almeida depends where you look. I see minus six hundred in one book. I see minus one thousand in another book. They got it. Um, yeah, minus you know six hundred. The comeback on Parker Porter is plus four fifty. Uh, Jailton Almeida, dude, I am so fucking impressed with this guy. Like, firstly, he's got the size. Let me let me pull up what the numbers are on that. Jailton Almeida is says he's six three. Between you and me, six four got the 80 inch reach he's got the size advantage minus the weight against the, uh, an actual heavyweight and what's so impressive about this guy is you look at his fight on contender series right and i know we haven't seen much footage on jail to him but what we have seen i've been i've been like yo like who who's this, who's this guy like just as like a scout i i i, I see this guy as a serious prospect right um so he goes into a contender series, fights that Russian, and like the dude's on his back and he's able to reverse position. Like the guy, he's able to tap out like, and it wasn't just some some random Russian. It was like a serious Russian with UFC aspirations that could still make it to the UFC and do big things. And to tap a guy like that out, like that was serious. Comes into the UFC against Danilo Marquez. And I'm thinking to myself, well, it's black belt versus black belt. Like, like there's no way that Jelton's just gonna come out here and just destroy this guy on the mat, and he goes out there and destroys that guy on the mat. It was like, oh shit! And like usually with Danilo Marquez, like if you watch his UFC career, goes out there and and dominates that Russian, goes out there the next fight, taps out Mike Rodriguez, no problem. I know he lost the Kennedy fight, but he at least still won the first two rounds of the Kennedy fight. With against Jelton Almeida, there there wasn't winning no no minutes, no rounds, no nothing. It was just domination. So yeah, has he fought anybody? No, the, you know this, that, the other. I get it. Yeah, but like all your favorite fighters never fought anybody until they fought somebody. Like that's just how this shit goes. So it's just about are you a good talent scout or not? Can you spot potential or not? I mean, when you talk about like a sport like baseball. You got the scouts going to like the minor leagues, going to high schools, going to colleges, like scoping out these these guys. Like just because this batter hasn't been in there with Clayton Kershaw and Max Fried yet, doesn't mean that with the proper seasoning and development that they can't have success down the line. Like you saw that game with the Chicago Cubs the other day, where that dude on his first ever at bat as a as a major leaguer, he made his debut, hits a hits a home run in, in his first ever at bat. 
the pitcher he was up there against, I mean, I'm sure that guy's got years of major league experience on him. So to me, it's just one of those situations where it's like, yeah, just because he hasn't fought anybody, like that doesn't mean that when he does fight somebody, he's not going to win. Like, so you just got to be able to scout the talent properly. And I think I am scouting the talent properly with this kid, Jelton Almeida. I'm very, very impressed. The size, the grappling prowess. I think he's making some um, some strides on the feet, the confidence. And with Parker Porter, I mean, listen, he's got my respect. Parker Porter is the guy that fought John Jones on the regional scene. And I made like, I don't know if I want to call this a joke because I actually do think this tweet will age well. I said, Parker Porter is going to be able to say that he shared the cage with John Jones and Jailton Almeida because I do think Jailton Almeida is going to go far. And back to my boy, Sweet Dreams Hill, uh, happy birthday to Jamal. You, everybody wish him a happy birthday. Back when he had only fought nobody, I saw the talent. I was like, oh, this guy's going to make waves. And I feel the same way about Jailton Almeida. Yeah, has he fought anybody? No, but like that doesn't mean that when he does fight somebody, he's not going to rise to the occasion. So, yeah, I uh, look, Parker Porter, tough guy, big leg kicks, experienced as hell. I like him, cool personality. But, uh, and listen, it's heavyweight versus a light heavyweight, but I think skills are going to prevail here. Not that Parker doesn't have skills. Would not would not discredit him like that. I just think that, you know, we're looking at a potential top ten guy in jail to him. I don't I don't view Parker Porter as a future top ten guy. I just view him as a, a solid journeyman that's going to win some, lose some, keep his spot on the roster for a little bit, and give us some entertaining fights. Whereas Jail Tune, I could see him actually. I, I could see him going places. So I, I just think that's the fundamental difference in a fight like that. So, yeah, my pick is Jailton. Yeah, I'm not laying minus 600, minus 800, you know. If you guys are into props, you know, maybe take a look. At, I don't know. I don't know what the numbers are on that, but maybe the under if it's not too juiced. But, yeah, Jailton for the win. Inside. Now, next up in the 55-pound division, 155 pounds, we got Omar Morales representing venezuela he's 11 and 2 taking on uros medic who is 7 and 1 representing serbia and currently they got it omar morales minus 140 the comeback on uros medic is plus 120 now this is a very very interesting fight for a variety of reasons now firstly I've had a lot of success betting on Omar Morales. You know, um, I bet him against Gabriel Benitez, against Dong Young Ma, and against Shane Young. And he took care of business in those fights. Um, but my issues from time to time with a guy like Omar Morales, well, first let me talk about the positive. The positive is the kicking game is on point. He's 36 years old, so you can make a case that he's either flat out in his prime or he might be exiting his prime, but he's only had like 13 pro fights, so he's not like a damaged goods kind of guy. Like he's he's like a young 36, right? Um, and I still think he, he's, he can do some big things. It's just uh, I guess my issue is sometimes the volume is a little bit on the lower side. And Uros Medic, what's interesting about him is, firstly, he's a very long guy for 155 pounds. He's six foot one, but interestingly, he has like a kind of a shorter reach, a 71 inch reach for a six foot one guy. That's that's kind of interesting. Um, but what I really respect about a guy like Uros Medic is this: Uros Medic was a guy that was fighting on one of the consensus worst regional scenes 
in the entire sport, you know, Alaska, and no disrespect to my Alaskans, it's just, you know, put y'all's guys against our guys, bring some Alaskans to the NFC, and let's see what happens. Actually, we have done that. Um, check out this dude, and all due respect. If he's watching, you know, I respect you, brother. Um, who's the guy that my boy Robert Hale knocked out recently? Um, I don't fucking remember his name, but we brought this dude over from Alaska and my boy Robert Hale knocked him out in the first round. We brought him over. My boy, nasty Nate Williams gave him a three round tour of the octagon. Um, Tyson Duckworth. That's the guy's name. Shout out Tyson Duckworth. Really nice guy. And the fact that, Hey, Tyson Duckworth, the fact that you were willing to fly from Alaska here to the NFC to test yourself against some of our top prospects, like much respect, dude. Like, you got my respect. It's just the point I'm trying to make is that the Alaskan regional scene just ain't up to par. But to Urosh Medich's credit, he's a guy that stepped outside his comfort zone, left Alaska, moved to California, training under Master Rafael Cordero at King's MMA. And, I mean, if you want to improve, you got to leave your comfort zone. If you want to improve, you got to be surrounded by people like that. And now that it's been you know, a few years there, I want to see these improvements. And Urosh Medic, very long striker, hard kicker, known for being a first-round finisher. And I know a lot of people say, well, he's first-round or bust. And I don't necessarily agree with that. To me, when you talk about first-round or bust, that means that you have evidence when they go past the first round that they fall apart, right? Um, hey, someone... someone uh, write me a good first round or bust kind of guy uh, uh, down here. Like, like a guy that goes balls to the wall in that first round. But if he can't get that, if he can't get that finish that, you know, he's going to definitely gas out in, in the second round or something like that. Like, give me, give me like a real first round or bust guy in the comments. Cause for some reason I can't think of, uh, I can't think of one at the top of my head, but the reason that I'm not convinced he's first round or bust is this. <laughs> Someone said Connor McGregor. That's funny. Um, the reason I'm not convinced is this. Yes, yes. Perfect example. Perfect fucking example. Rick the Ruler said Derek Minner. Exactly. Derek Minner is a guy that goes balls to the wall in that first round, and if he cannot get you out of there, he's going to fold up. We don't really have evidence that when Urosh goes past the first round that things go south. Like We just don't. So... It's, on, it's honestly a question mark. Maybe that happens. Maybe that doesn't happen. But I don't have any reason to believe that that's the case. Like, seems like he paces himself. It's just when he smells blood, he, he goes for it. So the the other concern I have for Urosh Medic is him getting taken down. Um, and sometimes he's like kind of like a fish out of water, right? But let me give him credit. In that Jalen Turner fight, he got taken down. He was in side control bottom. And I like the way that he recomposed his guard in that fight. He was able to get his butterfly hooks in. But here's what I didn't like. What I didn't like was that, firstly, Jalen Turner let him up. So it wasn't a case where Urosh Medic showed, you know, some kind of... Uh, some kind of fantastic, like, Jose Aldo get-up game or anything like that. It was a thing where... Jalen Turner let him back up. You want you want to stand and bang, okay? But when Urosh Medic got back up, dude, he was extremely fatigued from one grappling exchange. Now, 
that was his first big fight. You know, it was uh, on an actual pay-per-view with fans in attendance. Like, who who knows? And Jalen Turner has turned into a fucking serious beast. It's just that with Omar Morales, I think standing-wise, they're going to have a very competitive kickboxing match. And the length of Urosh Medic might actually be a big tool here. Now, Omar is not necessarily known for shooting too many takedowns, but, you know, we I, I did see him get a lot of top control on Dong Young Ma, even in the Shane Young fight where I wanted more volume from Omar, but it didn't even matter. He won the fight anyways. Like, he did, you know, get some takedowns here and there. So I, I, it's like one of those things where, I see the potential for this being a very close fight. So I kind of think it's dog or pass, but I'm also kind of pissed off that like I missed out on the plus 140. I missed out on the plus 135 and I'm not really trying to force bets here, but if it goes back up there, I might take a slight shot on Urosh Medic against a guy in uh, Omar who I respect. I'm not sure if I already mentioned this, but like Omar, I've bet on Omar a lot. I bet him against Dong Young Mai. I bet him against Benitez. I bet him against Shane Young. Like I, I, Omar has got all my respect. Um, it's just about the price here with Omar being kind of a conservative counter striker fighting at a very low volume pace. I'm very curious to see what happens against an ultra aggressive guy like, uh, like Urosh Medic. And when I say ultra aggressive, it's not ultra aggressive. Like Shane Young, who all due respect is kind of like a walking punching bag. I don't, I don't think that Urosh Medic is a walking punching bag. So I see this being a, a really interesting tactical battle. Obviously, my concern is Urosh Medic getting taken down at some point. Not that I think he's automatically going to get subbed. It's just I don't want to. I don't want him to give up a lot of top control. And then, you know, when he gets back up, he's completely gassed, and you know things like that. And hold on a second, I got to sneeze. But uh, those those are my those are my concerns. But. Uh, yeah, Medich's wins are very low level. That's true, but that's back to the conversation we were talking about earlier, where like all of your favorite fighters, like they didn't fight anybody on until they did fight somebody. So it doesn't mean he can't rise to the occasion. It's also about how they match up stylistically. You got the longer striker um, who's got the more higher output versus kind of like a. <laughs> sorry some of these comments are awesome i love you guys thank you guys hit the like button for me um so you got kind of like I, I see more more power from the uro side i see the length i see more output and then on the omar side he's a sharp counter striker um good kicks kind of a physical guy so it's an interesting fight i kind of do think it's dog or pass but i want it more towards the the one 25 the 130 135 140 that it was at the, uh, the beginning of the week but i guess you snooze you lose right and i'm not in the business of forcing bets so if i don't get the line i want on a pass but i, I still kind of think it's a dogger pass situation and i think omar is a badass i really really do like omar i i, I do a lot um but i just don't want to count out uros just because just because he lost to a beast i mean you got to take into consideration jalen turner uh, for that Uroj like was like minus 185 against Jalen Turner. That's the kind of regard people had for um, for Uroj Medic prior to the Jalen Turner fight. So people are quick to make a 180. Like this is this is a completely different matchup. So I lean Uroj Medic here, but 
you know, Omar's got my respect. You know, I'm three and zero betting Umar fights. So, uh, I said Umar. <laughs> excuse me, Omar. Uh, so let's let's see what happens. Now, this one should be good. Next up in the bantamweight division, we got a matchup between Jonathan Martinez. He's fifteen and four, taking on Vince Morales, who is eleven and five. And currently, they got it. Jonathan Martinez minus two twenty-five. The comeback on Vince Morales is plus one eighty-five. You know what? I got to give Vince Morales a lot of credit. Like Vince Morales, dude, you have my respect. And let me tell you why. Vince Morales was a dude that, like, I literally bet one of my friends that this guy will not be in the UFC this time next year. Like, I bet that like a couple years ago. And guess what? He was still in the UFC this time next year. And I just felt like he wasn't on the caliber. I just felt like he wasn't on the level. You know, I cashed on Chris Gutierrez and that leg kick destruction, and it was just easy-ass money. But he took some time off. And before I bring up the take some time off and how uh, he came back and has been looking better, he, he showed some glimpses here and there, man. I mean, you go back to that third round against Song Yudong, and, uh, <clears throat> I mean, he had Song Yudong backing up at times. He he. Some people think that he might have even rocked Song Yudong at one point in that fight. So he's had these moments here and there. I heard this interview with him, and he was saying that, like, you know, he was just trying to play it safe. He was just trying to not take any risks. He was just happy to be in the UFC, whereas now he kind of feels like he's coming into his own and that he's ready to actually show what he's all about. Um and I think these last two fights are a big step in the right direction. The thing with his opponent, Jonathan Martinez, is this. Look, the skills are there. I mean, sometimes when you watch him strike, it's beautiful. I mean, that step through knee, the leg kicks, the body kicks. The, I used to say he didn't have much boxing. Uh, his boxing has been getting better, too. Everything's been getting better about Martinez. I like Martinez a lot. My issue with Martinez is that sometimes in these pocket exchanges, he is there to be hit, and it's happened on multiple occasions, man. I mean, you can go all the way back to his UFC debut against Andre Sukumtut. Is it Sukumtut or Sukumtach? Or, uh, but you know who I'm talking about, that guy. The dude, uh, you, you, I'm not, I'm not going to make any jokes, but uh, <laughs> Andre dropped him twice in that fight. You look at the fight with Andre Uhl, where it's like a lot of people thought that was this massive robbery. And like, I get why, but I wanted to see even more from Martinez in that fight. You look at the Davy Grant fight, and it was like, man, he was doing so good early, but one of those big exchanges, and he just got flatlined. And against a guy like Vince, like, if there's one thing that Vince Morales has, oh, before I get to Vince, what about that Alejandro Perez fight? Like Alejandro Perez dropped Jonathan Martinez too. Jonathan is, sub is susceptible to getting clipped in these pocket exchanges. And if there's one thing Vince Morales can do, he can crack chins. I think it's a dog or pass situation. Look, I think that Jonathan Martinez is the better fighter here. I think he's got the more well-rounded arsenal. And if you want to bring up... Uh, if you want to bring up... Um, Fuck, I lost uh, my, uh, my my train of thought here. Oh, okay, no, I didn't. If you want to bring up the Chris Gutierrez fight, where Chris Gutierrez absolutely mauled the calves of Vince Morales, and that happened, no debate. 
well, that was kind of orthodox versus orthodox as far as the stances are concerned, whereas here it's going to be southpaw versus orthodox. So I don't think the leg kicks are going to be as red, readily available for Jonathan Martinez, but what will be red, readily available is that liver kick because, you know, the southpaw against an orthodox, that, that liver kick is there all day. So that's, that's what I'm most worried about. And I kind of think if it goes to decision, you got to lean towards uh, towards Jonathan. It's just Jonathan in these pocket exchanges, I don't know what it is. He's there to be clipped. And one thing about Morales, even in some of these fights that he's losing, man, like the Benito Lopez fight, I believe he dropped Benito Lopez. The Song Yudong fight, that third round was looking uh, kind of sketchy if you had that big shock on Song Yudong, man. So we might be looking at a live dog here. I mean, I'm going to take a pure pick on Martinez, but if I had to bet this fight, I might consider a one-unit shot on Morales because I finally think that he's, he's, he's starting to come into his own. He's starting to feel more comfortable in there. And at least, like, we're not dealing with that kind of hesitant, gun-shy, play-it-safe guy that we had before that. You know, I made a bet with my friend that he wouldn't be in the UFC this time next year. I feel like now, like, we might be actually seeing these big improvements, and maybe it's his time to shine. So he's live for a knockout. Do I think he's live to take down Martinez? Probably not. Do I think he's live to chop Martinez down or, you know, pin him up against the fence or clinch fight him? Probably not. But the kid's got a nasty right hand. Even in that fight he lost on Contender Series against uh, Domingo Pilarte, which, looking back, didn't age well. But, you know, Domingo's got a win over uh, Adrian Yanez. But we'll talk about that another time because the ref was literally warning Domingo Pilarte from run for running away from uh, Adrian Yanez the whole fight. But uh, he has moments in fights. And one little pocket exchange where, where Martinez keeps that chin lifted up and Morales could capitalize. So Aline Martinez, I think he's got more tools. I think he's a more well-rounded guy. However, uh, Vince Morales is a live dog. Weezing said, this video title is such disrespect to the women headlining the card. I hope you're being sarcastic because, I mean, to me, Ponzinibbio versus Michelle Pereira is the best fight on the card. And that's all it is. But I felt like I still broke down the Holly Holm fight objectively. It is what it is, man. You're welcome to make if you're not being if you're not being sarcastic and you're being serious, you're welcome to make your own video and, and talk all you want about Holly Holm and Vieira, my man. Do it up. I live in the US. We're in a free country. Next up in the featherweight division, we got a matchup between Chase Hooper. He's 10 and 2. Oh, he's not being sarcastic. He's being serious. All right. Sorry, man. Michelle Pereira versus uh, Santiago is the best fight on, on, on the card. Period. So Sorry you feel that way. It is what it is, but it's my show. I'm going to run my show how I want to run my show, but I do genuinely appreciate you being here, and we live in the United States, so we're allowed to have differing opinions. So thank you. Thank you. Now, next up in the featherweight division, Chase Hooper, he's 10-2, and two, taking on Felipe Colares, who is 10-3. and three. And currently they got it. Felipe Colares, minus 180, taking on Chase Hooper, who is plus 158. And, all right, man. So, Chase Hooper. You got to love the kid's heart. I mean, the kid can just, like, take a whooping and then just pull out these subs just out of his ass, and he's done it on multiple occasions. And at some point, that's got to run out. Um, 
But on the flip side, he is only 22 years old. So maybe there's a chance that maybe there's a chance that he can come out here and show a different version of himself. I mean, let me check the last time he fought. Last time he fought was June 12th, 2021. So, you know, somewhat somewhat close to a, a year off. Hopefully, hopefully that's hopefully that's enough time for him to level up somehow cuz like we like the kid's personality. We like his jujitsu. We like his toughness. It's just you can't keep getting your ass whooped and then pull out these submissions out your ass at the last minute. Like that's not gonna trans. That's not gonna bode well for your UFC career. It's not gonna. The, the longevity ain't gonna be there. And, and he's a bright kid, so I, I feel for him. And then Felipe Colares, on the other hand, speaking about taking damage, didn't Montel Jackson drop him like a million times and? It's like the chin on Felipe Colares is like, holy shit. Both these guys are black belts. Um, Felipe Colares is actually a Team Noguera black belt. It's a tough one because it's like I don't advocate laying minus 180 uh, on, on, you know, a guy like Felipe Colares usually. But... He's fighting Chase Hooper. So uh, it, let, let me ask y'all y'all your opinion. Is this the spot where we make an exception and take chalk on Kolarish, who should like never be chalk? Or has you know Hooper leveled up enough in this near year off where he can come out here a new man? He's only 22. Cause like Chase Hooper, usually when he wins fights, he submits these guys. And Kolarish is, you know, a, a team Noguera black belt. I, I kind of don't see him getting tapped out. And I've seen him in some bad spots in the UFC getting his back taken. And he hasn't been finished. So I don't know. I mean, I lean Felipe Collares. I'm just not, you know, I ain't trying to lay no minus 180. Unless, like, do, like, do you all think that, like, literally anybody on the roster can beat Chase Hooper at this point? Like, straight up. Like, let me pull up the roster right now. List of current UFC fighters. So, real quick, let me just confirm the weight, the weight class. 45s. Okay. So, featherweight division. Let me see which guys Chase Hooper could possibly beat. All right. So, definitely not Joe Anderson Brito. <laughs> the reason I brought him up is just because he's one and one in the UFC. So, I'm looking at guys that, uh, that you know are kind of at the beginning of their careers, dude. It's tough. Okay, what about T.J. Laramie? Who y'all got? T.J. Laramie versus Chase Hooper. You think that maybe that's one he could get? Um, it's it's tough to find guys. I think Chase Hooper could beat. It's just another th- one of those things. Like I've been repeating myself. I don't feel comfortable laying minus 180 on uh on Felipe Colares. I, I just I just simply don't. Um so I'm gonna pass, but my pick will be Felipe Colares. Unless y'all can convince me that it doesn't matter that he's minus one eighty. It's about the fact that he's in there with a guy like Chase Hooper where he's probably not gonna win too many UFC fights. He takes too much damage. But again, a tw- you give a twenty two year old a year off to, hopefully he's leveled up somehow. So 
it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see. I just never expected a time where Felipe Colara should be a favorite in a UFC fight. <laughs> I just didn't. And no disrespect. That's just how I feel. Um, but yeah, I'll pick Collage. Last but not least, kicking off the card. <laughs> My boy Nick said, friends don't let friends bet chalk on Felipe Collage. Hey, real quick, do y'all do y'all think I was being disrespectful to Holm and Vieira? Because I felt like I gave a decent breakdown on that fight. I just I think you know this show is for the fans, and the fans want to hear about Pereira and Santiago. So let me know what y'all think, man. Because I ain't here to disrespect nobody. I'm just here to give the fans what they want. Period. But last but not least, we got Elise Reed. She's five and one, taking on Sam Hughes, who's six and four. And currently, they got it. Elise Reed minus one fifty five. The comeback on Sam Hughes is plus one thirty five. So you got to give both these ladies a lot of credit. They've come a long way, and they've overcame the hump of losing that first UFC, that first four. Well, for Hughes, she lost her first few, but for Elise Reed, she lost that first one. But listen, Elise Reed actually beat that uh, Jasmine Jasa Davicius chick in 2020. That's a good win. That that win aged well because uh, she did her thing against Kay Hansen. Um, so props to her. And then, you know, obviously lost to Sajara, who was uh, <laughs> this dude says, stop apologizing to these triggered fools. Listen, I ain't apologizing. I stand by everything I said. It's just more so about, like, do the rest of y'all logical people agree with that? Because I feel like I feel like y'all got my back on this one, right? Like, y'all would rather see Santiago and, and, and Michelle, right? Like, isn't that? Yeah, it's understood. Y'all got my back, and I appreciate y'all for that. Hit the like button. Hit the subscribe button. Share, retweet, comment. Do all that stuff for me. Thank you. Elise Reed, listen. The Sajara Eubanks fight, like she just simply didn't have, you know, any business in there with Sajara Eubanks, but she dropped a weight class to 115 pounds. And what was in there with Corey McKenna? I kind of thought Corey McKenna lost her Kay Hansen fight, actually, to be to be frank with you. Um, and like she looked better. I mean, Elise Reed, decent stand up technique from time to time. With with Sam Hughes, my biggest concern with Sam Hughes was more so a case where like. She, she's kind of like hesitant. Like you don't see enough out there. Like you, you want her to just like pull the trigger. You want her to really go for it. And I, and I just haven't like been seeing that from her, but at least the second half of that last fight against Estella, at least she put it on her. At least she actually went for it, which is like what we want, what we've wanted to see from her for a while. Like we want to see her like actually just like, just let it go. Just like, Kind of like what we were talking about with Vince Morales. Like when he first came to the UFC, you know, he was too scared to take any risks. Like he just wanted to play it safe, just wanted to, was just happy to be there. Was that the case with Sam Hughes? Is she now starting to kind of feel like, okay, now I can show my skills. Now I can let things go. Now the pressure's behind me. I got nothing to lose. I'm curious if that's the case. So this one to me seems like a 50 50 fight. It might not play out like a 50-50 fight, but on paper going into it, it's a 50-50 fight. So for that reason, I never thought I'd say it. <laughs> I'm going to pick Sam Hughes in a UFC fight since she's the underdog, but I, uh, I don't fucking know, bro. <laughs> I have no idea. All right. Fight to watch and fighter to watch. Fight to watch is the main event between Santiago Ponzinibbio and Michelle Pereira. I mean, come on, guys. Santiago Ponzinibbio at one point was on a seven-fight win streak, had a fight with Kamara Usman, book was only a plus-150 dog against Kamara Usman, and then 
had a near life, a near death experience, and people are questioning has he come back the same? Now I think he's still the same guy. The only thing I think is that people have figured him out. Now with Michelle Pereira, one of the most dynamic, one of the most electrifying, one of the most unique guys in the welterweight division, and he's on the cusp of hitting the top fifteen. How dope would it be to see a guy like that in the top fifteen? So. No matter what happens in this fight, it's going to be fireworks. I'm going to be shocked if someone's humping the other guy's leg, if they're out here making the crowd boo. Like That's just not going to be the case. Ponzinibbio and Pereira is guaranteed violence, and for that reason, that is my fight to watch. My fighter to watch. <sighs> this is tough because you know there's the Chitty Njikawanis. There's the Urosh Medicis. I would say Jailton Almeida is just he's minus 800. So it's like, you know, he's expected to win. But what about Urosh Medic? You know, came into the UFC with a lot of hype. And I really respect the fact that he got out of his comfort zone. He was he was training in Alaska where it's considered one of the, you know, one of the not best regional scenes in all of MMA. And to get out your comfort zone, to go to King's MMA, where I hear the sparring sessions at King's MMA, are second to none, man, to challenge yourself with guys like Benil Darius, Marvin Vittoria, Kelvin Gastelum, Fabricio Vaikavala, Wardum, um, Master uh, uh, Rafael Cordero. Like, dude, she got my respect, buddy. And to go from an undefeated fighter, took your first setback, how do you rebound from it? And Omar Morales ain't about to take a, a knee for nobody. Omar Morales is coming here to fight. So it almost sounds like I'm calling it the fight to watch, but Urosh Medic is my fighter to watch. I want to see how he rebounds from his loss, and I want to see is he a prospect or not. Like so, that's uh, that's that's my fighter to watch. Well, guys, truly appreciate y'all being here for me. If you got any questions for me, I do got a little bit of time to kill right now, so fire them away. If not, I'm gonna get out of here. Um, but I'm always grateful for all you guys being here and uh, supporting me. No matter what, thick and thin, you know, just trying to give you guys entertaining content, informative content. But at the end of the day, you got to think for yourself. You know, it, all this is just one man's opinion. And yeah, you know, let, let, let's keep uh, let's keep it going, man. It's been a good year so far. Um, I was really pissed about the Rockage fight just because like, you know, yeah, I had money on Rockage, but it's like I just wanted to see the fight play out. You know, if I had money on Rockage and and Jan Blahovich went out there and just Polish powered him, knocked his face, knocked his head into the fifth row. Then it's like, dude, that's like, not just no big deal. Move on. But like when your guy like clearly wins the second round, the momentum starting to shift in his favor. And then he suffers like a one in a hundred injury. It's like, dude, like that really, really bothered me, man. So, uh, yeah, I, uh, I didn't like that. So, but back to this, man, I, uh, I'm i just excited to keep keep this thing going. So thank you guys again very, very much for your support. Charles asked me, do I got any bets? I mean, yeah, I was looking to bet Michelle and, and Urosh, but I feel like I missed the lines. And I'm not in the, you know, in the game of forcing bets or taking lines I don't like. However, if the lines get better and, and they're where I want them to be, then I will, you know, consider betting on those. But Honestly, my focus this weekend is uh, someone say someone said, "What did you say about Ricci fight?" Just scroll back like to the Ricci fight. It's in there. It's in there. Um, but yeah, my main focus has actually been on my jujitsu tournament uh, this Saturday because 
So a few months back, I had a herniated disc and pinched nerves in my neck. And the doctor told me I could never do jujitsu ever again. And I told the doctor to go fuck himself. And then I did like a bunch of physical therapy, got back on the mats. And this Saturday, I'm actually going to go do a jujitsu tournament. And I'm doing it up three weight classes. Um, just because I don't feel like cutting weight. I'm just going to walk in at I'm just going to go in there at what I walk in at, you know, it, the weight class is light heavyweight. It's a uh, light heavyweight. It's not 205 for them. It's 194.5. I'm going to be walking in probably like 188, 190. I got some bigger dudes. Uh, I think probably down the line, you know, maybe drop a few pounds and fight at my normal weight class, but or not fight, but grapple at my normal weight class. But here I just, I just want to go out there and, and just, test myself and just prove to myself that I can overcome the adversity I went through. And also the event is a cancer fundraiser with IBJJF rules. And, uh, you know, my grandmother died from cancer. She had a serious battle with cancer. So if I can just, you know, dedicate this to her, that, that would really mean a lot to me, man, you know, to, to go out there and, and yeah, just do it for a good cause. So no matter what, I feel like it's a victory in itself just stepping in there after, you know, being told I could never do this shit again. So I'm very, very excited about that. Um, Nick said, don't forget to jump a low percentage guillotine. Actually, the guillotine is one of my favorite moves. Yeah, I'm not going to do it in the first 30 seconds unless I'm convinced that it's that it's a done deal. But um, that's actually one of my go to. So we'll see. Hopefully the guillotine, the arm triangle. I'm, I'm more of like a top control guy. I want my game plan and I don't give a fuck if whoever I'm competing with is listening. It's I'll tell you what my game plan is. My game plan is to come out here, let this guy shoot on me, stuff this takedown and then create scrambles from there. Um, I do pride myself on my takedown defense at, at this, you know, blue belt level, right? I'm not talking about stuff in the, you know, uh, some of some of these other guys, but at the blue belt level, which I'm at, you know, I'm a four stripe blue belt. Uh, I want to go out here, stuff these takedowns and create scrambles from there. And then hopefully that sets up my guillotine. Hopefully I can get on top. I love top control. The arm triangle choke is one of my go-tos as well. So trying to do something like that or ride it out and get the points. So we'll see what happens. Uh, controlling these bigger dudes. I'm just very, very excited about it. Very, very nervous about it too. Not nervous about, you know, like it's not like nervous like I'm gonna like back out on fight day. It's more nervous like, you know, you just wanna actually what I'm most nervous about is the adrenaline dump. Like, cause I don't want to go out there and pump myself up and fucking just like and do all this bullshit. Like I'm more so I just want to stay calm the, the entire time. I just don't want to uh get so fucking tired that like that like my I can't feel my arms and I can't perform like I do in the gym and shit like that. So yeah, there's a lot of nerves revolving it, but I'm still gonna face my fears, go out there and do it and live with the results no matter what. So and since I'm a four stripe blue belt, that means that my next promotion is my purple belt. So I want to get a few jujitsu competitions in before I get my purple belt. Cause once you get the purple belt, it's a completely, completely different game. So I need to get a few competitions in that blue belt. And then we got our purple belt later this year and then smooth sailing. So guys, thank you so much for all your support, man. It truly uh, a gear, no gi. It's, it's in the gi, this one. Yeah. This one's in the gi. Um, thank you guys very much for everything. Truly appreciate it, man. The fans, you guys, are the reason we're still here. Thank you so, so much. Um, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button after this video is over, comment on it, share it, retweet it. Tell the fans that if, if you genuinely enjoyed the show, tweet something about it. Tell people that to check it out or 
bring up something you like that I said, bring up something you don't like that I said, just anything you guys do to help people to help get some more eyes on this. If you genuinely enjoy this, it'd mean the world to me. So thank you guys very much for that. Uh, you know, you can follow me at best fight picks on Twitter, subscribe to half the battle everywhere. Podcasts are found. Truly appreciate everybody's support. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.